0: Welcome to Group Talk, four shows, one podcast from the Small Group Network, focusing on topics relevant to small group ministries. Whether you're in a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you're a volunteer or staff, we want to support,
1: encourage, and equip you to lead well. So relax, listen, and enjoy Here to There with Carolyn Kiketa. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Here to There, where we explore movement from our present reality to the preferred future God has for us. Well, around 2005, 2006, I was just getting started in small groups ministry as a part-time director for our church. And so like many of you, I've been a volunteer small group leader for many years, but i never been on a staff and never been responsible for developing the small groups ministry or really any ministry like that. So I did what I do best when I have no idea what to do. Lots of research. So I am a nerd at heart and I read lots of books those first couple of years. I think I read like, I don't know easily 15, 20 books. And I just tried to absorb everything to figure out the why, the what, the how of community through small groups. I was really convinced that it was a biblical mandate, but I had no idea how to actually execute it or make it, um, build it in our church. So one of the books that most influenced me and gave me a vision for community, as well as a strategy for how to build it in our church context was Creating Community by Andy Stanley and Bill Willits from North Point Church. And at the time I read the book, I knew nothing about North Point. I didn't know what a big deal. Deal it was or anything, I just thought, oh, this really makes sense. It was simple. It made sense. And it gave me some uh, practical steps to start. So I read the book. I reread the book. I highlighted it. And it's actually one of the classic books that I often recommend um, to people that are new to groups ministry. And so over the years, I've had the privilege of getting to know Bill personally and learning from his wisdom, not just about groups ministry, but about strategic leadership. And I've just been so consistently impressed by Bill and North Point's steadfast commitment over decades. Um, to creating healthy, thriving groups. And it's clear that it's in their DNA and they just live out what they preach. So uh, last year, I think Bill shared with me they had revised and updated this classic book and that it's going to be released um, this past summer in July of 2021. So I quickly contacted him to invite him to be on here to there um, to talk about the highlights from the book. Um, Bill's been a guest before. In fact, he did one, a group talk for me a few years back on metrics, which is such a um, exciting topic, um, and so I knew you would be a wonderful guest. Um, and here's the thing: I knew that I had to get Bill first because I knew that Steve would go after him, and then Nick wanted to nab him for his um, for his Reading Lens podcast too. We actually had a separate text chain about, okay, I want to get Bill on my program, and then they were like, I was like, back off, I'm getting him first. <laughs> So, Bill, thank you so much for saying yes to me first and being on Here to There.
0: Well, I would always choose the rose before the thorns. Let me just say (laughs) that very clearly. And let's be clear
1: that the thorn is Steve Gladen and not Nick Lindsay, who is a sweetheart. Absolutely,
0: yes. (laughs) They don't don't get much finer than Nick, but let's say we all know Steve, so that's...
1: And yeah. Nick is a Nick's church is a, a North Point partner, so he's a very familiar with the model, and as well, mm-hmm. so he's also you're also one of his heroes, as you are of so many of us. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about Bill. If you're not familiar with his work, Bill Wells is the executive director of adult ministry environments for North Point Ministries. Um, he's been in that role for 25 years as one of the founding staff members of North Point. He's a graduate of Florida State University, Dallas Theological Seminary, and he's also the co-author of the book "Creating Community" with Andy. Stanley, which was released and updated and the expanded edition that we're going to talk about today is um, was just released, like hot off the press last month. And so he and his team have helped connect thousands of adults into the benefits of group life. Um, Bill's also been a mentor to many small group ministers. If you've been around the small group network, he's a wonderful friend to the network and has spoken for us and done works- workshops and all kinds of stuff that you know Steve ropes you into basically. <laughs>
0: You know, it's like all, Steve's got that uh, magic potion. We all do anything that Steve asks us to do. I know. He's
1: convinced um, a lot of us that he's like, the Holy Spirit just tells him what, you know, God wants us to do. And then we're like, oh, okay, that could be. (laughs) And I think actually most recently I was hosting the virtual lobby gathering earlier in 2021 and you and Steve were on a panel panel together with, and it was like herding cats or um, siblings. (laughs) I I don't know what it was. It was so much fun. God
0: bless you. That's right. (laughs) God bless you.
1: It was. It was so much fun. So, okay, let's get into this book. Tell us a little bit about uh, what led you to redo the book and then to revise and update it.
0: Well, you stated it early on, uh, Carolyn, that It's been 16 years since we wrote it, and obviously a lot has changed. Individually, the need Mm -hmm. for community has never been greater. Um, I think in the original book, I quote a Gallup poll that says Americans are among the loneliest people in the world. And that was 30 years ago. Imagine that, (laughs) that, that quote was 30 years ago. And um, right before COVID, so this isn't really a COVID phenomenon, but right before COVID, there were some stats that came out that showed that the loneliness pandemic or epidemic had just continued to get worse. Um, Here's a startling thought. Gen Z, um, the digital native uh, generation, is called the loneliest generation ever and is in worse physical health and mental health than the older generations Mm. before it, which is just tragic because you always want the next generation to have something better and thrive more than you did. And then coming out of the pandemic, you know, that issue just got compounded. Anxiety and depression were up. Suicide was up. Substance abuse was up. And so the need for meaningful community has never been greater. That's one of the reasons why we made the change. Another is culturally. Uh, The technological advances that have been vast in the last 16 years have, you know, they've come with many benefits, but they've also come with some corresponding challenges as well. I mean, this is hard for me to think about it, and some of your audience is just going to smile. But, you know, 16 years ago when we wrote, there were no smartphones. There was no social media. There was really no digital connection options. And and we all would say those advancements have been tremendous gifts uh, mm-hmm. to all of us, but I think it would be unwise if we didn't look at the corresponding downsides of what has happened as well, or the costs that came with some of those technological advancements. For example, people don't know, and especially this was one of the statements on Gen Z, don't know how to create meaningful relationships these yeah. days. And so that's why loneliness and depression and those kinds of issues continue to go. It's interesting, out your way, um, in Southern California and USC, they recently, I think it was two years ago, maybe three years ago, they hired a director of belonging (laughs) uh, to teach a class on how to create meaningful relationships. And it's super popular. Yeah. It's super.
1: Fun. My daughter's at USC. It's a super popular class.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, you had so many students that were tubing out or battling yeah. depression, and they said, we got to do something about that. So we're going to create this position. In the UK, they have recommended right. that they create a, a minister of loneliness yes. to help fight the pandemic. And so this phenomenon, which I think was the downside to the, technolo- the technological advances that we've had has really impacted people's ability, um, to be able to connect meaningfully, which means one of our challenges, I think in this digital age is training. And in some cases, retraining people Mm -hmm. on how to have those kinds of relationships, how to be fully present, how to wisely use technology without it becoming, um, an appendage to who we are. So culturally, um, individually, and then organizationally for us as a church, a lot has happened in 16 years, you know, While the framework of the original book, I still think, is a reasonable framework.
1: (laughs) Well, since it was biblical, I I think you're safe to say it's a good framework. I'll give you that. It's a good framework.
0: (laughs) Thank you. But (laughs) but the nuts and bolts of how we do what we do have changed vastly over Mm -hmm. the last 16 years. And so uh, we felt like it was time for an update because the old book, while it still trickled with sales, uh, was not um, was not representative of what we really were doing fully today. So those are some of the reasons why we made the change.
1: Yes, I was so glad that you did redo it, and it's thicker. Uh, so you know, it's more bang for the buck. There's a lot more words. on the-
0: Yeah, a lot more stories, quotes. Yeah, a lot. Uh, we're trying to make it as reader friendly as mm-hmm. possible and engaging as possible while also uh, throwing a few extra gifts in there. Uh, there's a bonus section that wasn't in there before. And so yes, as I, I mentioned like. to you, I think earlier, I, I think I figured out it was about 70, 75% new. Um, Which is unusual
1: rewritten. for an update. It typically means it's the flip, right? And yeah. I remember you telling me I should just written the whole second book over <laughs> because it was more work to try to like revise <laughs> and update it. Yeah. Which, but I'm glad you took the time to do it because it does really speak to our time. It just feels like, okay, this is your speaking right now to to where we're at. Um, You know, you, one of the things I love about you, Bill, is that you're a realist. And we're going to address that a little bit later because there's this really cool section on what you promise and don't promise to people. Um, But you talk early on in the book about clarity. And I don't know who said it. There's some famous person who said clarity is kind, yeah. uh, which I really subscribe to. I think the church tends to think kindness is just being nice and not, not necessarily um, mm-hmm. saying, you know, you could say it kindly, but the truth speaking piece of it. Um, mm-hmm. And you talk about three questions in the book that leadership teams have used over time in um, building this ministry to bring clarity to their ministry. Can you talk to us about what they are and why they matter so much?
0: Sure. Um, so, there, the three critical questions that we've played around with for so many years are really simple. They're not profound, but they they have been really guiding lights for us in terms of helping determine what we're trying to do. The first mm-hmm. one is, what do we want people to become? Um, mm-hmm. This question really is all about getting a clear picture of the preferred future that you have for the people that are coming Mm -hmm. to your church. In other words, what's the goal? What are we trying to do by getting them involved and getting them connected and getting them taking next steps in in their journeys with Jesus? And the way that we have answered that is with a little unique twist um, is we want people to be really lifelong followers of Jesus, not Mm -hmm. just believe something at a particular point in time. Mm -hmm. but to continually be following him. So our mission statement today is we want to inspire people to follow Jesus. That's what it really is, which means wherever a person is on the spiritual continuum, we just want them to continue to take the next step on their journey with Jesus. And that's what we're trying to do. So the first question, what do we want people to become? The second question um, is, what do we want people to do? And this question really clarifies the how, the tangible next steps that we want Mm -hmm. people to take in order to grow and follow Jesus. And so the way that we've answered that in this season in our life is we want people to grow vertically and horizontally. We want them to grow in their love for God and obviously their love for other people. And I don't think too many um, of your <laughs> listeners would fight, fight or argue with that I, issue. I think we
1: can agree on on the you know yeah. the Great Commandment is, great is a commandment? good thing.
0: Yeah. yeah, Steve and I agree all day long on so much, and one of these is Great yes. Commandment and Great Commission. So this yes. is that's good. Amen. Amen yes. to that. <laughs> and so um, that's what we're trying to do. But the way we've answered it is when we talk about the vertical and the horizontal, we we go back to the words of Paul in Galatians five six. When he's fighting the the Judaizers that have come into the Galatian church and are basically trying to bring in uh, legalism into Mm -hmm. and and do additives into what basic Christianity is. And he says, he boilerplates it for him. He said, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. What it all comes down Mm -hmm. to is growing faith expressed in love. If you really want to know what, what the spiritual journey, spiritual life is all about, Jesus said it's to love God, love others. Paul said it honestly said the same thing in just different words. He said it's right. growing faith expressed in love. in other words there's a vertical and horizontal mm-hmm. place. Uh, so the currency for loving God is growing faith.
1: Mm-hmm. The
0: currency for loving people is doing whatever is required in the moment right. the moment. it's situational. so it could be forgiveness, it could be deference, it mm-hmm. could be service. Could be surrender to a dream that you might have had. Mm-hmm. But um, but again, growing faith, expressed in love, faith and love, faith and love. And so it begs the question how does someone grow faith? And that's where we came back to the idea okay, what has God used over the years to grow our faith and the five faith catalyst to become an instrument, instrumental part of who we are and what we do in terms of what we think God uses rather right. than what do we want people to do? What did we observe God to use? These okay. are things. There could be six, you know, we won't worry, you know, (laughs) but I mean, at least these five seem to be, um, characteristic through the year. So that was, what do we want people to do? We want them to grow in faith and love and then leverage those five faith catalysts Mm -hmm. in their journey with Jesus. So then we ask the final question is where do we want people to go? And this question really clarifies what are the environment or environments that we have for people to become followers of Jesus, to become better followers of Jesus. And this question was really all about making sure that we didn't—we created clarity,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: also we didn't create competition. Mm-hmm. Um, most churches uh, that i have um, in my third church now, and the first two certainly had competing systems inside of itself, and so they—they yeah. they trumpeted about five different things, and so if you talk if you to the only right
1: 5 that's actually pretty good <laughs> yeah <laughs> i feel like i mean let's be real most of them it's probably more like 10 plus <laughs>
0: yeah that's right that's right so this was okay we want clarity so that our messaging is the same mm. whether it's a kid or whether it's adult we want to drive people towards a similar destination and that for us is a small group environment an appropriate one um and we right. have different ones but Uh, the destination is the same. Now we've created three different types of group tracks depending on where a person is on their journey, but the destination is still the same. It's the small group. right?
1: So it's like these leadership questions. You can ask of it more in a macro fashion about Mm. the church as a whole. Um, But for many of our listeners who are more second, third, Third chair um, people and managing one piece of it. You can also ask of it more um, micro in relation to the specific ministry because I think those questions really are still valid. What do we want in terms of our leaders or our volunteers? Where we want them to go? Um, yeah. How do we want to help them get there? Um, and you do later on in the um, chapter you do talk about strategies being you know easy and obvious, which I think is really helpful. It's interesting. Some of the things in the book, you're like. Yeah, I know this. Like, why am I not doing this? <laughs> that, that's kind of my my experience. Like, yeah, you know, I know this is true. Not, 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 and go. Okay, but why? Why are we not doing it? Um, and so, yeah, I, I may or may not have had
0: that <laughs> moment a couple of times as well, Carolyn. Let me just really. Add I you. just.
1: I, I. think we kind of put this is like with Saddleback and North. I think we kind of put you guys on a pedestal, and you know, we come to your conference or listen. It just feels like that's like the you know paradise of small groups ministry. Everything's aligned. Everything you know, kind of points us same destination. And I've definitely have had, you have caused me to be The sin of envy and jealousy, (laughs) thinking this is how if we had the resources, if we had all these things, Um, and I'm sure Steve uh, gets some of that as well. But um, just for our listeners, don't be jealous. They have problems too, right, Bill? Yes, every day
0: (laughs) because it involves people, and so people bring their own (laughs) sets of opportunities for growth, as I like to call them.
1: I like. Wow, that's so kind. It's because you're in the south. You're so kind. Um, (laughs) So it's it's true, and I think over time you get to see. Gosh, even the ones with really great models that we can learn from. Um, yeah, as long as there's people, there, there's stuff. My name is Peter Englert. I am the co-host of Why God Why. We are doing a series
0: with a small group network that has to do with a world reopening. Over the past year and a half, we've experienced a coronavirus, but these four episodes focus on a future of what a post-COVID world might look like. So whether you're a small group point person, a pastor or leader, someone interested, I want to invite you to check out these episodes with some of our great friends from the small group network. Go to why got a why Um, Okay,
1: so another aspect of clarity is in one of my favorite parts of the book. It's in chapter six. You talk about identifying roles, and I thought that was so refreshing. Um, and I remember uh, reading way back uh, maybe fifteen years ago, uh, something from Andy Stanley that kind of stuck with me, and he had talked about how when someone comes on staff at a church and they were in the congregation before they need to understand the different roles that happens over time, and you mm. guys probably had a chart for it because you you, you people do charts, so you have yeah. like beautiful graphics for things, but I remember at the time listening to that, and this chapter reminded me of that of how there's a different role for the the church, the leader, the group. Yeah. <laughs> Um, And I I often see, Bill, like leaders taking on more than they are required to, even more than I'm asking them to do as their small groups pastor. Yeah. Um, Or there's members demanding more of the church, like find me my best friend or my life partner kind of thing um, than they're required to. So I thought it's a really short couple of pages, but I thought that was such a nugget. And I wanted you to expand on that. Like, how have you seen that play out for your environment?
0: Yeah, I think what's happened and we all have it. In every, every church, you mentioned that, and I think it's so true, is that we have people who come into our churches, and they have levels of expectation. And really what they're saying is to us, I want you to change me. I want you to grow me. Mm-hmm. I want you to fill in the blank. And at the end of the day, we can't make another person change. Yeah. You know, um, we we can we can say God changes people, and that's so, so true. We create environments, God changes, but they, he has to have a willing participant along the right. way. And right. so we just decided to identify okay, in the change process, what is the role of the individual? What is the role of the group? What is the role of the leader? And what is the overall role of the church? Yeah. And so at the very beginning, we said um, in the chapter, we, we talk about the role of the individual and basically the role of the individual is, um, they're really the gatekeeper of change, if you will. Um, they, they are the one who is responsible for being open and willing, and most importantly, apply truth so that they will change. I can't make anybody, uh, uh, you know, apply truth. Neither can you, you can't (laughs) make somebody want something that they don't want for themselves. So the individual's responsible for their growth. That was kind of from the outset. Rather than coming to the church and say, grow me. Right. What we're saying is, is um, my responsibility is to partner with the church and the Holy Spirit to become the best version of myself, to be Mm -hmm. more like Jesus over time. I play a key role in that. My role as the individual is to own my growth. Uh, The role of the group we talk about is to support the process of growth, right. uh, growth along the way. And so we talk a lot about the ABCs of group life um, at North Point. So accountability, belonging, and care. But basically mm-hmm. what I, uh, as a group we're doing is we're encouraging that accountability and that sense of belonging in those care moments to actually happen. We're supporting the growth process. Right. Uh, as a result, the role of the leader is to encourage the process and the way they do it is right. asking op- open-ended questions right. along the way, being sensitive, uh, to the spirit when the individual, uh, comes to mind. Um, but the leader has a strategic role. And I think that is to, uh, encourage growth, not allow people to settle, model the way is one of the primary yeah. tools that they yeah, use, for sure. you know, and then the role, ha- the role of the church we think is to partner. So the individual owns, the group supports, the leader encourages, and the church partners in the process. I see, it sounds
1: so nice and clean as an enterprise like that. And yeah. I'm like, I'm flooded with all of um, the groups that don't keep it so nice and clean. They don't stay in their lanes, um, or they ask for from each other. And it's, I just thought it was good to kind of keep those roles in mind, even as you navigate through the messiness of, of you know, kind of the different expectations. That the group has, the the leader has, the other group members have of one another, what they want the church to do. Because you're so right. Everyone comes to us and enters a group with a set of expectations, whether they are aware of it or not. Um, And I think they also have uh, assumptions, especially if they've been around church or not been around church. Everyone Mm. comes in with assumptions. And you spend a fair bit of time in the book about talking about assumptions and how they change um, and have changed. And you've even said, you know, you've been in ministry at North Point for 25 years and over time, and even the book, 16 years ago, some of those assumptions have changed. So talk to us about any assumptions you've made about community or group specifically that you've seen change in like maybe the past 10 years. Oh, sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, for for us, group formation
1: has changed. We use an
0: online digital connection mm-hmm. process where we did a live event uh, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, actually, even. And so now, um, now
1: you've moved on from the live event, and there's all these churches that follow <laughs> your previous model, yeah. and they're still doing connection point. <laughs> yeah. And for some, you know, it makes sense in the
0: season that they're in, yes, yes. but with eight to 10 churches in a metro area, Yeah, Um, it's just now the technology is interfacing with our database in such a way that it makes it a seamless process and it can be uh, pretty easy for us to do. So that's one of them. Another one is, is we used to think, Carolyn, is that you had to have um, a middle step for people Mm -hmm. to find their people or to find their friends. Mm -hmm. And we always would talk about the church like rooms in a house that we're moving from the foyer to the living room to the kitchen. I
1: I was part of that. I heard you say all that. And I was like, okay.
0: (laughs) And so we thought that the living room was really an important thing for all people to be able to find their people so they could take a next step into community. And we came to find out that if you have families and kids, Mm -hmm. you, you have built in environments where you're. Those living rooms are already taking place. You don't need a programmatic mm-hmm. answer to that. Now, you need opportunities to see broader swaths of the community, mm-hmm. for sure. And there's certainly some felt needs, whether it's parenting, marriage, those kinds of mm-hmm. things that bring people together and like seasons that I think is really valuable and powerful. But in order to connect, people are willing to move from you know the auditorium to a group without having that middle environment. If you're being mm-hmm. sensitive to... Uh, geography, season of life, those kinds of things as options for them. And so that's one major change.
1: Do you think COVID has affected that piece? Because what I've noticed in our church and from talking to some friends around the country in in small groups ministry, there's a much greater hesitancy to go from, well, one, they're not even in the um, church church (laughs) congregation still as much. But then like the going to a stranger's house, or an acquaintance's house Or having someone come to that house mm-hmm. it, it feels like groups have gotten smaller um, Because the level of trust about vaccines Masking, I mean all these complexities And the divisiveness in our current climate That that has made people kind of get smaller And that there's more of a fear and resistance To going from the big environment Promptly into a living room It feels like now maybe we do need Some sort of a, a more of a middle space So we've been talking about maybe Doing some middle spaces at the church Spaced out and whatnot, because it feels like a safer, just physically safer environment under COVID. But have you noticed, you know, any changes of assumptions because of COVID?
0: Absolutely. I mean, you are talking about one of the real realities we all have right now. So anywhere Mm -hmm. from 40 to 60%, depending on one of our campuses is the number of people who are actually back in the weekend for us right now. Yeah. And, um, you know, I really think some of those, those participation patterns have changed for good, mm-hmm. uh, especially for empty nesters. Um, mm. It's going to be harder for some of them to get back in now that they've experienced the drive of content. We can talk about what they're missing out for yeah. sure by not being there and what the body's missing out by not having sure. them there. But I think, you know, we're still in the middle of something. Pretty deadly, so I understand people's tentativeness. Our connection rates are about half of what they were two years ago.
1: I feel so much better.
0: Oh yeah, (laughs) Uh, so uh, yeah. There's there's no silver bullets, my dear. It is it is true that this is an unprecedented season. But I think if you can be creative and create some options Mm -hmm. uh, for people, whether that's they launch as digital groups with the desire to move into hybrid or into embodied situations as things change, I mean, I I think that's that's beneficial. But one of the things that we found out, and uh, all of us, I think, is the time to get connected is not when you need it most. Mm-hmm. The time to get connected is when you need it least, recognizing that you're going to need it badly or yeah.
1: significantly
0: at some point along the way.
1: But then how do you motivate them? Because, you know, need is what drives people to change. That's I mean, we're right. just I think, I don't know if it's just a human condition. <laughs> um, so I absolutely agree with you, Bill. I think people... Um, and we've seen this when we had catastrophes, like we had uh, fires here, we had uh, different catastrophes where people realize, you know, or COVID realized I don't have a support system. I I'm not connected deeply in relationship with anyone at church. But by that point, it's like, too late because you had need to build it before. So any advice on how do you help people see that need and want to do something about it before the need is pressing? Yeah,
0: I I think how we're marketing and advertising for groups is one of the ways that we can address that issue. I mean, we come at it obviously multiple ways. Sometimes it's relational. Sometimes it's pastoral, you know, pastoral Mm -hmm. care kind of setting to be supports and to comfort one another you know, uh, when tragedy hits mm-hmm. and who's in your circle to help you do that right. well. Uh, we do that from growth standpoint. So I think it's taking different tacks. One of the things we're looking at um, and trying at a couple of campuses right now that has been helpful this go around, and I mean this go around like right now, mm-hmm. has been um, we've done gatherings for two groups in particular. One was for ju- for those newly married. Mm-hmm. And then we did one for Empty Nesters. And they were gatherings where there was some content, but we put them at tables so that they could connect with people in their same season. And these were all, all right. disconnected people. Mm-hmm. So they got a taste of community. We used content to give them a taste of community. Mm-hmm. And then we had a connection season right after that to be able to drive them. And it really worked well at two of our campuses. And so now we're taking okay, what was it that really worked well? Mm-hmm. What was it? Was it the content? Did we have the right audience? Was it a mm. mix? You know, that's what we're trying to figure out at this stage.
1: Yeah, I think that mid-sized group thing, whether you do it online content-wise or not, I, we've had some success with that as well. Yeah, uh, It's just trying to get people to connect with each other, but back to your first point, I think all of our social skills are really rusty. <laughs> if we ever had them, let's just assume we had them, and yeah. hopefully <laughs> a small group of people, <laughs> <and> all the <laughs> listeners, we all have a certain level of that. We'd be in trouble, but I think it's just really rusty. There, there's a lot less of that give and take or even, um, even small talk. I read an article, I think it was in Atlantic about how essential small talk is. Yes. Um, and that's just, just in, since the pandemic, just even the the casual chit chat that, that really kind of helps people not feel so disconnected and then primes them for more meaningful conversation later. Um, we've lost some, a lot of these social graces and you definitely see it with Gen Z and the younger, but I think even for, you know, our older and to your point, yeah, we're wondering, we're trying to figure out, not that you have a crystal ball bill, but let's pretend you do Pretend you have a crystal ball. So God has given you a crystal ball for the future. So are there any, any kind of Patterns you already starts to see emerge. You think in groups ministry that will be with us a while.
0: Well, I think it's going to be interesting. Um, we learned something about digital connection during this season. Mm-hmm. It can we work. We all had
1: to. We all had yeah. to do it. We yes. all pivoted, right? And <laughs> right,
0: so, right. Uh, and it can really work. I think what we also saw is that Zoom fatigue or
1: yeah, digital that's fatigue
0: is real. Wow. So it. If you're going to have a digital experience, my hope is it's a breadcrumb to an embodied experience that we're Mm -hmm. maybe starting or doing something that is supplemental when you can't connect uh, in an embodied setting. But I think there is something to either leveraging digitally as a starting point for people on their journey Mm -hmm. or as a substitute when they can't uh, all come together. So I think digital, that's not... That's not, that's a duh, right? I mean, we know digital (laughs) is going to go, but what I think we're going to find is that digital is not the silver bullet. Mm. Um, I think it's going to be more of a hybrid piece that we're using digital as a tool.
1: You don't think people will be staying online, like online campuses now are are cropping up everywhere where Mm -hmm. there's not an expectation that these are breadcrumbs or steps towards embodied community, but that they are a community in and of itself. What do you think about that model?
0: I think it works again. Something is better than nothing for certain Mm. people. And if, if, if something's all, you know, then it can be the best of the experience that you've, that you've had up to date. I just think there's certain things. You can't do the one and others digitally. It's hard. It's, very hard, it's, yeah. it's, it's challenging. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you can do some of them probably, but there, there's some of them that that mm-hmm. is pretty hard. And I think one of the things that we saw at Easter, we had an outs- outside service. And um, it was kind of the first time that our church opened back up. Uh, mm-hmm. Since the previous March. So it had been, what, 13 months since yeah, that had same. happened? Yeah, same here. And to see people's reaction of the body yeah. together, yeah. tears streaming down with the first note of the first song, mm-hmm. it was like, okay, I-, I can live in a digital world, mm-hmm. but I can't live exclusively in a digital world. I need people. I need, right. I need, you know, as little as um, chit chat to, Meaningful conversation mm-hmm. around uh, life. I, I, I need to have that, and you know as well as I do mm-hmm. that on digital platforms you can multitask
1: while yeah, things are going yeah, on. Right, you're not and fully so, present. You're yeah. not fully present. And so right it now, is right now, Bill, we're fully present. Two hundred percent.
0: That's right. <laughs> but, we're, we're, but but I think and and we're, you know that's why we part of the reason why we have the loneliness pandemic that mm-hmm. we have is because we. Have people who are seeing technology as an appendage and not a tool, mm. and we need to get back to tools rather than appendages. You know, I love what yeah. I can't remember who said it, but you know, all our technology uh, technological advances were meant to help make those far off feel near, and what mm-hmm. it's done is made those near feel feel far off. And oh, that's good. And I think we just got to be again. That's a retraining. I mean, mm-hmm. I, at home, I've had to literally take all technological devices. we need to put them in the other room during dinner time because they're going off and everybody's yeah. checking and it's a constant you know interruption and we just said okay whoa This is a technology free zone. We're not doing that. Yeah,
1: we have some small groups that actually, and we'll collect the phones. That's good. Um, You know, put them by the door and then pick them up after because the temptation. It's almost like we're like you know uh, monkeys in experiment. (laughs) It's almost like we're so attuned to it, and you know, obviously, billions of dollars have been spent to make us. Um, so addicted, so it's almost like a just an impulse even at this point, um, especially since the pandemic. So I think you're right. Um, so if you see any other forecasting, feel free to pop in with any other forecasting so that we know what what to expect going forward. But uh, one um, thing, uh, one thing
0: I was going to mention, and I meant to, meant to uh-huh. say this earlier, is that I do think we just did a survey of of, of all the disconnected people in our church, and a couple of things hmm. they came back and said that would make a group experience more palatable for them Mm -hmm. were shorter duration periods and less frequent meeting times. So, Mm. um, we know there is a trade-off between how (laughs) frequent you meet and the experience. But what I think I read into that is I think we've got to be creative that initially we give a taste and see, and then they choose more frequency. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we have some groups that are actually meeting three and a half hours, um, one time a month. Mm, And it's younger demographics that are trying this and they're having a great experience. We've used that Uh, format with mentoring experiences for Mm -hmm. us. And we carried it over into some of our, we call them just grad groups because they're just graduate from college and Mm -hmm. they have loved that format. Now, here's the thing. They're getting together more frequently than that one time a month, right? but they're choosing to, it's not expected by the group model. And so I think there's something to that for the future that we've got to pay attention to. Because people, like you said, are traveling, they are gone, they are more fluid than Mm -hmm. um, certainly my generation uh, was. And
1: so I, I... I think that's something we got to pay attention to. Yeah. And I think in all those, it's just to kind of hold the uh, strategies more loosely. That's right. And I love that again, because North point has my heart on the whole metrics and testing things (laughs) and actually getting data. I'm all about getting the actual (laughs) information Uh, that you kind of go, initially you might think meeting once a month, how are they ever going to build relationships, but you meet for a longer chunk. And that's just the official meeting that does not preclude all the um, potential meals or hangouts, which don't feel like meetings to people. That's Um, So, I think to get creative about, it, I love that, that caution that if, you know, meeting weekly for eight weeks seems like too much of a burden. Um, yeah. I think we can mix it up and probably you're right. The number of hours will probably be, be comparable. So <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So I think it's, that's really good. A good, um, thing. This leads right into the point you um, have in the book. You talk about, you know, uh, people need a plan and a guide and that's what the, the, what, the how and the why kind of the who, who person. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I think the whole here's here's what I've been experiencing the guide part. Let's focus on the guide part a little bit. Okay, yeah. We have uh, we have lost. Oh my goodness! I want to say thirty to forty percent of our leaders during mm-hmm. this past eighteen months. Um, and I know I'm not alone in that. I hope I'm not alone in that. No, um, you're not. So many people have just, and, and none of them have said because um, you know you guys aren't supporting us or we don't like your church. It was mostly just because life just got too hard. For the most part, it was life got too hard. Circumstances changed. Kids were home all the time. Like it. It just felt like the leading a group was just one more thing on their overburdened, over exhausted, fatigued, weariness um part. Mm-hmm. And so they just need to cut something out. And I completely understood and empathized um, with it. At the same time, it, it it also was discouraging, honestly, because I these are the same some of the same leaders that have been with us a long time and they have said, you know, I, I'm so blessed by leading, God has grown me so much. So I'm like, oh, I wish you would write this out a little bit, um, but like it's harder and harder to find a guide um, yeah. for people. We ha- we still have a lot of people who want to be in small groups and that want that investment in people, but we really are having a hard time recruiting new leaders and having people willing to sacrifice when life seems so hard right now.
0: No, you're you're not alone. That is. One out of one, I think. I think one of the things that we did see work is that a lot of our existing groups stayed together longer during COVID because mm-hmm. they didn't want um, they didn't want change, and yes. many had some pretty dire circumstances that mm-hmm. they needed the sure. sense of community um, and familiarity. And we love that. I, I think we are constantly. I, We've come to the place where we've said there's no silver bullet in leader enlistment. There just isn't. I mean, we Mm -hmm. all love to say, okay, if you do this, then you will have all the leaders you ever needed. And that's just not true.
1: We thought Andy was the silver bullet. We thought Andy stands up there and says, everyone lead a group. And then boom, you have like a surplus of leaders coming out of the woodwork.
0: It's a miracle.
1: It's like a genie (laughs) in a bottle.
0: No, it is. um, The the truth of the matter is, is that there are a lot of little pushes on the flywheel that get it done. Mm -hmm. Uh, Certainly, pastor engagement is one of those. Video messages via email is one of those. One of the best and most effective, honestly, tools that we have is individuals and leaders in groups nominating others to lead. Right. And, um, but it's all of those things together. There is not one piece that says, if you do X, you will have all that you need. And again, I, I go back to, you know, boilerplating what's needed for a successful group meet- a meeting and a group ministry. You need to know what's the plan and who are the guides? What's the plan? Who are the guides? And then ask the question, what do the guides need to be successful? So for us, more recently, we're spending a lot more time onboarding new leaders. Mm-hmm. Well, then trying to encourage, conjole, beg and borrow older <laughs> leaders to come to our leader development mm-hmm. modules, um, simply because we want to onboard those new leaders extraordinarily well, put all of our investments, especially in the first 90 to 120 days in those groups, so they get launched uh, effectively and that they have the tools necessary to be, you know, to be successful. But enlistment and development are not for the faint of heart when it comes to leadership. In- well, and
1: then you throw COVID into the fire and then it, it just, yes. I think those of us who kind of were like, yeah, we, we have this down. We We have a multi-pronged approach and we typically, God is so faithful and gives us what we need. And then it was like, okay, but in this season, there's just a lot more people opting out or on the sidelines, even as the need is greater. So I guess I would encourage our listeners that you're not alone in this. And we just have to keep working, working at it. Cause there is no silver, bu- if you don't have a silver bullet, then, you know, none of us do.
0: And 80, you know, it's so funny is that we got to, uh, August, uh, maybe late July, And we thought we had all these leaders and then the Delta variant started hitting and they all they all bailed, you know, or many of them bailed. And we thought, no. Um, But uh, thankfully, it was better this August than last August, which isn't a total surprise. But it was way off where it was two years ago. And it just it is what it is.
1: So I feel like next year, um, I wanted you to come back and talk about rebuilding. That's Uh, that's going to be the big topic. Hopefully, God willing, we'll be past enough of COVID um, and the various variants so that hopefully by September 2022, we can start talking about how to rebuild and maybe rebuild in a healthier, better way than we had previously. So that's Mm. my hope. In my more hopeful days, Bill, that's where I go. Yes. Um, In the day-to-day, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is is probably the hardest season of ministry in my um, 15, 16 years. My favorite chapter title is chapter 17, where you say deal in reality. And I just, again, I just love the clarity of that. Um, Tell me why you named it this and what you see in churches broadly, because you go and speak in a lot of churches and the idea of what do you think churches do when they're not dealing in reality? Well,
0: the whole idea is that many times, because we have a biblical ideal, that we're pursuing that biblical ideal and forget we live in a real world.
1: Like Acts 2. We want yeah. Acts 2. <laughs> yeah, That's
0: right. We know what it should be. We know Acts 2 and Acts 6 should be mm-hmm. normative uh, for the, the, the church. And then we actually go to church and it's not normative.
1: And <laughs> then, there's people we're there. That's, that's, we're that's there. Exa- <laughs>
0: it, it's one out of one. And so I think, you know, asking the question, am I creating an ideal or a real environment? And I think you can have ideal desires. It's kind of like marriage. You know, when mm-hmm. somebody comes into a marriage, you say, you know, there is an ideal and real piece to this. You know, ideally I want to be, uh, I want to love Terry consistently want to love her like Christ loves the church. Mm-hmm. And I have good days and bad days. And some days I do that better than others. And some days I feel miserably <laughs> at doing that. And so, um, you know, th- it's great to have desires, but they're different than expectations. And mm-hmm. I think uh, when we talk about dealing in reality, the expectations of that we set for our ministries in um, the desires we set for our ministries, we just need to be clear: what's a desire, what's an expectation, what's a desire, what's an expectation. And
1: how do we keep ourselves from judging and being critical? <laughs> I'm speaking for a friend, asking for a friend. right. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> I, I have those friends who, of people who don't seem to align with, uh, you know, with the desires, like. It's when people bow out or when, um, there's just a lot of resistance in, on the individual role level or on the member or the group leader level. Like I, I have to really battle, like judging that and instead go, okay, this is where they're at. Yeah. Uh, what can they do? Not what can't they do in the ideal that I would want them to do. And, um, I, you know, I just, yeah, if you've experienced that at all or seen that played out, maybe on your staff.
0: Uh, Carolyn, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know what, I don't know what you're saying. Yeah, this is I why mean, I can I,
1: never work at North Point because clearly. <laughs> I it's have nir- it's
0: nirvana. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing that ever goes wrong. With. No, I mean, of course so. I mean, I, I think that one of the things that we have to train, and we're doing that right now with leaders is we're not just training them um, on how to be effective leaders. We're training them on to choose their battles wisely. And mm. so we're talking a lot about the difference between what's core and what's peripheral in belief. What mm. is it core to mean to be in a Christian? And what is important? And what's not disturbing if, some, if people have differing points of view? So we've created an assessment and we walk leaders through because what I've found is that the most ardent and um, passionate people have made something that's peripheral core. Right. And, and so they, they have kind of, um, again, they've, they've, they're not dealing in reality and they haven't Mm -hmm. even thought through. I remember training we did, we asked 20 questions on this questionnaire and they go through and rate one to three, um, if it's critical, important, or not critical, and a person who had put 13 ones was sitting next to somebody who had four ones. <laughs> right. And they were friends. And uh, the guy who had 13 ones goes, Wow, I must be pretty tightly wound. To which his mm. wife said, Yes, you are. And, <laughs> and so, so marriage he,
1: therapy as well as leader it training. It was awesome.
0: <laughs> but he hadn't thought through the implications of the world that he had created. Mm. Um he just saw, you know, um this is the standard. Yeah. And so therefore, um and again, we we talk a lot about the Bible is equally inspired. Mm. It is true, but it is not equally helpful for every issue, right? Okay? And so again, we're saying the Bible's, you know, the inspired word of God, it's it is true. But it's not equally helpful for a seven-year-old. You know, I don't teach uh, David and Bathsheba to a seven-year-old. Why? Because we would say it's not age-appropriate. we got to do that for people spiritually as well. It's not that something's not true. It's just not appropriate. So we don't get them involved in politics and other conversations flippantly knowing Mm -hmm. that's not core. Mm. What is core to the faith? I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. Just remembering who... Uh, what is core to what it means to believers. So dealing with reality is basically saying, you know, don't forget that, but also make sure that the standards you have are uh, considered with the normal person involved, not the <laughs> apostle Paul and his inklings, you know? so,
1: That's so true. And Maybe this is also more for personality. Like if you have leaders that are say one on the Enneagram um, that, you yes. know, us, us, oh, reform- yes. us reformers, we like to, you know, we, we have a plan for your life and we want you to follow it. Um, A married one. Oh, see, this is why I love Terry. There you (laughs) go. Um, So, and I think it's harder. So when I identify kind of some leaders that there is that of like, why can't so-and-so in my group like stop doing, you know, this thing? This is so clearly sin. This is whatever. And then to try to help them understand the reality of that person's life and where God is at work and the healing and some of the brokenness of that. Um, So increasing empathy and love and compassion. um, While on the flip side for some of the leaders that are like, oh, oh, live and let live. Yeah, you know, we've got totally. multiple multiple people in the group that are engaged in all kinds of things, but I, I it's not my place to call them out. And I'm like, well, but it kind of is. Um, and so then to kind of instruct and train to have those conversations as well. And um, so I think there's value to the idea, but the reality of, who we are, and especially each person, where they're at in the journey. I, so when I read the chapter, I just, but much just because I always defend myself saying I'm a realist, <laughs> not a cynic. Yeah. So I, I thought, yeah, but part of realism is really understanding people's limitations. Yeah. Um, some people just have wounds and have issues and it's, they're just in this space and time that we're with them. That's not really our place to necessarily change them, um, back to your different roles thing, even, you know, um, totally. with it. So I, I think that's part of my, been part of my journey as, um, for myself personally and certainly my marriage, but also as a leader to kind of take people as they are, not as you want them to be, um, and then design systems that actually meet them where they are, that are easy and obvious as you guys say.
0: And will help them. And you know, you can use uh, Andy Young, the former UN ambassador who lives here in the Atlanta area, mm-hmm. said. Um, he said, you know, you can use honey or vinegar to, to engage people. He said, I chose to use honey um, because I always found it more effective. And mm-hmm. I think there's some truth to that. You know, we talk a lot about knowledge. We talk a lot about skill and leading a group and so forth. But when it comes to really, I think the secret sauce to leadership it really is posture. It's the mm. posture of the leader. And so we, yeah. we talk a lot about the four um, postures that we think an effective leader has, because honestly, knowledge is nice, but knowledge can puff up. Yes. Skill is great, but we can put our trust in skill and not in the Lord who's using those skills. It's really posture. And so we talk a lot about the posture of a healthy and effective leader as somebody who's humble, teachable, curious, and intentional. Those those are the qualities that we think are most important.
1: Wow. That was such a golden nugget right there. (laughs) That last piece, I think that for all of us to kind of examine our hearts with that and our posture. And I think in this season, as if because it's been so difficult and hard fought, I think it's easy in the weariness Mm. to get um, impatient with the sheep, especially the sheep that bite. (laughs) We have some of those. Everyone has some of those. Yes. Um, And so just kind of, I, I love that, that I, that picture of, you know, our posture of humility and really ultimately it's love. Um, and loving the person as they are, not necessarily as we want them to be, because that's what Jesus did with us. So that's I feel right. like I got a whole devotional right here from you. Thank you, Bill. Um, so, okay, last question. So if you are sitting down, having a cup of coffee with each person listening, mm-hmm. if you are doing that to our listeners, like it, that are all serving so faithful in their local churches, um, what conversation would you want to have with them? Like, what would you want to say? And what would you want yeah, to
0: ask? Yeah, the first thing I would say is thank you for what you're doing, because mm-hmm. what you're doing is helping make God's dream of relief. Relationship with him and others, a reality. Mm -hmm. That's ultimately what you're doing. And doing that is mission critical and so very important. It's not just um, a nice to do, obviously. You're creating pathways, not only of understanding and belief, but of model. You're you're modeling the way for people what it means uh, to connect well with God and with others. And so, thank you would be the first thing. Then I would always say, always look for ways to innovate. But be careful in your innovation that you forget to effectively execute what you're already doing. I think Hmm. it is so easy as leaders for us to chase new and shiny. Uh, I am guilty uh, as charged. (laughs) And so I can run off and it's kind of like, you know, it's a worship leader with a worship song who said, we sung that three weeks ago. Yeah. yeah 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 we sung it once three weeks ago <laughs> exactly and and we forget that there are core things that have to be executed you know connection leadership enlistment mm-hmm. and and development and those kinds of things that aren't sexy, but boy, they're core, and we yeah. can be chasing yeah. you know the shiny and forget um the critical core so that'd be uh, one of the things is look for ways to innovate and especially Mm -hmm. in the digital age, what the tools we're going to have over the next 10 years. And I think um, especially virtual reality will Mm -hmm. come into groups and allow us to experience being together in ways we never thought was possible in the next five to 10 years. I think some of what uh, companies like Google and others are working on is phenomenal, but that said, don't forget what's core. course people and mm-hmm. helping them take the right next step in leadership or on their journey with Jesus. Then the other thing I would say and encourage them, um, have you looked at recently how the message you're sending is resonating or landing on the people who are in your congregations? Hmm. And by that, I mean... You know, we think we're clear. We think we know what we're talking (laughs) about.
1: And we've said it like 10 times already.
0: Exactly. (laughs) But what are they hearing? Because Mm communication is not what I say, it's what you hear. And Mm -hmm. so I, you know, you know this, I'm a big fan of surveying uh, Mm -hmm. attendees and finding out, okay, we think they think this, but what are they actually saying to us in finding out? And so ask attendees what they're hearing, what they're saying. Do they even know the purpose of a group? Do they know how to get into a group? Do they, you know, what what, what have we actually said to them, promised to them, and then what's actually, what are they hearing along the way?
1: When you said, what have you promised them? It made me think um, do, oh, that you talk about the four promises. Yes in the book so yes. can we interject with what they Absolutely. are Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so this is this has to be probably my favorite part of the book that you said here's only the for four, four promise. I so appreciate this. because um, I think we are guilty of overpromising um, yeah. as a ministry and then we show these shiny happy videos of people that are strangers and then be- are in each other's wedding. Like this <laughs> I say that because we actually just did it. But so then yeah. these are the success stories, right? And so, but we want to show how God's working and those groups exist. And yet there is this overpromising. And so I love the honesty of your four promises. So tell us what they are and then why um, why you put those in. Yeah.
0: So... Um, one of the, the chapters is about promising confidently. What can we really promise? And then I talk about a little of our journey and story. <laughs> we've had great group experiences and we've had some abysmal ones and wondering, is it leadership? Is it me? Mm-hmm. Is it is yes. the group? What, what was it? And realizing after a lot of soul searching and then some realizations from some other helpful resources that helped me understand the different kinds of relationships that we have, that there's really four promises we can make in group life. And the first one is we can promise connection for most. For most. That's, that's the key. Most. <laughs> y- yes. Not everybody. I mean, there right. are people who are not emotionally yeah. or cognitively healthy right. enough to be in community. Right. And that kills us to think that so-and-so, but I- I've had too many people who blown up groups over and over again. Yes. And there's, there's, the problem wasn't the group. The problem mm-hmm. was them. And right. So I'm not saying there isn't hope, but they don't need to try out that hope on our groups. I mean, that's the, <laughs> right, that, right. that, so we can promise connection for most, we can promise growth for many, we can promise a path to community for some, but we can promise a ministry for everyone. And uh, so it's really understanding, you know, connection for most, growth for many. Some are going to have great experiences, some are not.
1: But they might not choose
0: it. That's exactly, it. because if they're responsible for yes. their personal growth. yes then they've got to actually engage mm-hmm. at a level that's going to help them do that. We can promise a path to community for some, um, not community for everyone. Now, I think what's mm-hmm. important here, we can promise connection. But we can't promise community. Community is that mm. concentric circle of those intimates that you have in your life who are the real and raw relationships who know everything, who right. are going to push the right buttons when they need to be pushed to help propel you to believe what you need to remember. And to not believe what is not true, and mm-hmm. so those are the friends in our lives that that are those real and raw. There are those spousal relationships we have. You're not going to have that in every group because every group's not the same. Because every relationship's not mm-hmm. the same. And so you can promise it, it. What I've seen over time is I can pro- I, in my group I can provide a pathway for some of the people in my group to have that level of community. It just mm-hmm. may not involve me and it may mm-hmm. not involve every member of the group.
1: Right. And, and I li- think that, to be okay with that, that if, if you have a group of 10 and and four of them are tight with each other, that's that's actually a success. That's right. In- instead of feeling like we're obligated to provide that level of community for everyone, that that's not realistic.
0: No, it's not. And I think you're right. Our pretty videos show a picture of, <laughs> look at this, and this I is how I so it guilty
1: because it was such a great video we did. And they really were in the wedding. They, In fact, they hosted the wedding yes. for these, what you to be strangers and now become, you know, really close friends. But then, you know, we said, we did say, um, as we showed the video, by the way, joining a group does not mean that you need to host a wedding or be in a wedding or anything. (laughs) (laughs) Or give a wedding present. That's right. Or or find your mate here. (laughs) Yeah,
0: that's, that's helpful and clarifying. (laughs) Um, so those four promises are the, the four things that I think we can promise in every group. And, And I think it's worth it because the last one is so critical is that, Mm -hmm. um, God uses every group and he uses every person in every group. I mean, I think we all see and have seen how even in bad group experiences, God's revealed some things to us, maybe bad attitudes, maybe impatience. I know for me in certain settings, I have walked away going, yeah, we have a problem in this group and that problem is me. And, (laughs) um, and that's been a healthy discovery along the way mm-hmm. in that just as God has been patient with me, um, I can demonstrate some of that patience towards others as well.
1: Yeah. And so I encourage you, our listeners to go through those four promises because and wonder if you're over-promising and under-delivering or maybe your promises just are not realistic. So um, Bill is a truth teller. And so I so appreciate that. I know I cut you off on your fourth thing in the coffee chat. Was there any final thought you wanted to share? Well,
0: the only other thing is, You know, know, I I always am going to talk about try to keep your model as simple as possible. Don't Mm. create any competing strategies. But the last one I would really say is don't grow weary. Relational ministry is hard and messy work because it involves people. Um, I think I heard a mutual friend of ours years ago say, if you want it easy, do programming because you can script everything out and then it's just done. I I think that's an oversimplification (laughs) in fairness to our programming friends. But relational ministry is hard and messy. There's yeah. no perfect group. There's no perfect group model, including ours. But but God will use mm-hmm. anytime we bring His people together in His name, He promises to use it. And so don't give up. Remain open-handed. Allow God to write the story with each individual group. And then let's see what He does in our midst. Wow,
1: amen. That's a good, good word. Um, thank you so much, Bill, for being on the program. And I'm so glad I got to have this conversation with you first. <laughs> um, <laughs> you had
0: to get that in there, didn't I you? I did, I
1: did I had to get that in there, so <laughs> Stephen, and um, Nick here um, well, the book is called Creating Community Five Keys to Building a Thriving Small Group Culture and actually Small Group Network is giving away a free copy of Bill's book, so to enter, you can go to smallgroupnetwork.com slash contest and um, this, the contest drawing for Bill's book is going to happen on October 1st, and the winner is going to be notified by email, so if you want a free copy of the book, um, you can get it there. Of course, you can get the book on Amazon or anywhere um, books are sold. And it is it is really good. So I'm so glad you took the time and the energy to, in the midst of a, a pandemic, <laughs> and to work on it while changing out your ministry and running everything else. that That's that's a lot. So thank you, Bill, for serving the greater kingdom in that way. Well
0: thank you so much. It's always, always great to be <laughs> with you. And I appreciate the opportunity just to have these few minutes with you.
1: Ah, thanks, Bill. Um, Well, you can ask questions, interact with Bill on our Facebook Small Group Network group page. Um, He's on there. Reese often. if you have a question for him, you can direct message him there. Um, And thank you. God bless you and North Point and your ministry there. Um, And thank you all for listening to Here to There. And until next time, remember that we are better together.
0: Thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you enjoy this program, please take a few minutes to give us a positive rating on iTunes so that other small group point people can find us more easily.